Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hey everyone. So on today's show, we talk to Kim from Como Properties. Um, we discuss how she achieved three and a half K net profit a month in less than 12 months whilst working full-time in a corporate job. So uh, it's quite an interesting one. We speak about Birmingham, which obviously is quite a hot place to invest and things are very, very competitive. You know, if you've been listening to me from the beginning, I would have spoken about my sort of experience or attempts in Birmingham and then my uh, pretty quick giving up. Um, so it's quite an interesting one about how she went from getting a block of flats, which was awesome as a first deal, to then, you know, actually getting it through a relationship with a vendor um, and actually some dodgy dealings with an estate agent. And then on to switching slightly into rent to rent to get cash flow. But how her strategy may have sort of kept her from looking at the rent to rent as an opportunity for cash flow. And we discuss mindset, you know, cash flow, looking at strategy. We, we actually go through quite a few different things whilst talking about her story. So it's quite an interesting podcast. I think it, I think it's structured quite nicely. Actually, it flowed really well. Uh, Reminder, if you want money off networking events or you want to come to PPN Knightsbridge for free, which I'll be speaking at in October, uh, or you want an insurance, uh, mortgage, or you want brokers, sorry, or you want to be introduced directly to bridges, which personally I prefer when it comes to bridging, uh, let me know and I will hook you up. You want some deal sources in Wales or in the Midlands for rent to SA or in the Northeast, hit me up and I'll introduce you to people I trust. Oh, and obviously... Please leave a review. We're on like 220 on iTunes. Thanks. Kim, welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Hi, Tej. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you for coming on. So uh, for the people who don't know you or don't know you from, say, Instagram and social media, where I know you're quite active, could you tell us all what you were doing before property? So before property, I was a qualified lawyer. I still am a qualified lawyer. Um, I was working at, um, at the time sort of that I started to get into property, I'd say professionally, which was March last year. I was working at the largest law firm in the world um, in their corporate team. So I specialize in mergers and acquisitions. So that's buying and selling shares in companies company uh, corporate restructures anything to do with company law that was the that's the area of law that I practice in um and had done that for seven years wow and so you know good good sort of paying job uh you know good job in society yes it's corporate and sort of nine to five and, and probably a bit longer what yes. made you you know what made you say you know after seven or so years I've had enough I, I want to do something different um, well, you've, you've just touched on it. It was the hours. Um, you know, working at large law firms, you, you have large clients. You know, I worked for companies such as Sainsbury's, Network Rail, a lot of big PLCs. Um, and it's a very demanding job. And at some points I was working up to 18 hours a day or weekend. Um, and the hours were just unsustainable. I'd done it for six years at that point, and I just got to a point um, where I decided that, you know, I didn't want to do this for the next 20 years. Um, 
And it all sort of came to a head, really. I, I have a blood disorder called lupus, which is an autoimmune um, blood disorder. And the stress and the long hours were causing me to have flare ups. So in the last sort of year um, of me working full time in, in private practice in a law firm, uh, you know, I was in hospital a few times. Um, and I think that was the turning point, really. It just got to a point where I thought this can't go on. Mm. And so, you know, I think this is like a a case where, you know, you had a direct effect on your health from your job. Yes. And I think a lot of people have direct health effects, but they don't yeah. necessarily realize it, right? Like, whether yeah. it's mental health, whether it's, you know, gaining weight or losing weight or whatever it is, um, you know, not all corporate jobs are obviously bad for you. <clears throat> But long hours, stress, not necessarily spending time with family and friends is going to be bad for you. So, you know, you were, you were yeah. going through all this. What like what directed you to property? Why that instead of, you know, 101 other things? Yeah. Um, well, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which I know a lot of people um, sort of say is that was their starting point for getting into property. Um, I, I was given the book by a friend of a friend, took it on holiday and read it. And it just completely changed my mindset at the point that I read the book, which must have been sort of early 2016, maybe I was, you know, in the sort of corporate rat race, working long hours, earning a very good salary, overpaying on the mortgage. And, and, you know, that was, that was going to be my life mortgage paid off and nice little pension and then I read that book and I just thought, what am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was at that point that me and my husband sort of thought, no, there's, there's a much better way than, than this. Mm, okay. Now, you know what? That is like the spark in 99% of property investors <laughs> journey. Like <laughs> the amount of times I actually refuse to read it because I'm like, you know what? All my friends have read it. Yeah. If there's nothing that I haven't learned from them. Like, what else is there left in the book, right? So I'm like, you know, I'm not going to read it because 99% of my network have read it. It's cool. You guys will teach me it naturally when we <laughs> hang out. I, I'm, I'm cool. So you read that book. And then, and you know, this is a position that people listening have, you know, maybe been in or are in right now. Changing industry, um, especially one that's not necessarily too similar. You know, it's similar in that it's a business and it's professional services and it's professional. But yeah, how how did you sort of then like actually get into property? You read a book. Yeah. How did how did that translate into saying right? We are property investors. Okay, so it was sort of a two year process. So um, we got back from holiday. Our fixed rate on our, our residential mortgage was coming to an end, and we decided to remortgage take out the capital um, that had grown in our property and invest that in a buy-to-let property, which is, you know, the typical way that you get started. So we released some funds and we bought our first um, buy-to-let. And that was a really good deal, actually. Um, and we, we, still, we still hold on to that investment. Um, and then the plan was to save for another two years and then remortgage again if, if we had the equity and basically do that, you know, it would take quite a few years. But that was the plan um, until sort of 2018, decided that I wanted to educate myself properly because I knew that we were doing it in a sort of amateur way. Um, started going to property networking meetings, 
um, did a lot of research on the various courses out there and ended up um, taking part in the mastermind program, Simon Zucci's mastermind. Um, and that just accelerated our growth really over the year. Hmm. Okay, so I've got quite a few questions about that. So I'll start back at the beginning. Tell us about the first deal, where it was, what it was and what the figures were. Yeah, so that property is in Birmingham. I'm originally from Birmingham. You can probably hear a slight uh, <laughs> rummy twang in my accent. So, um, yeah, when we remortgaged our property, we actually live in Milton Keynes. Um, and, you know, to buy a buy to let here is, is cost significantly more than in Birmingham. And we knew Birmingham well, had lived there um, for several years. So we decided to invest there. Um, the property was a large Victorian terrace. It probably would have been a four bed house at some point but it had been converted into three flats. So on the ground floor, it had a studio flat and a one-bed flat. And then the, the first floor and the second floor were um, was a duplex two-bed apartment. Um, so it wasn't in great condition, um, but it was on the market. Um, just found it on right move, went up for a viewing. And actually, it was this was 2016, and the market was quite hectic at the time I think Birmingham had been named as a hot spot and we turned up to the to the viewing and there were about 20 people also viewing yeah so they had an open viewing and we'd got there a little bit earlier and the landlord actually happened to be outside so we'd been talking to him and little did we know that that conversation was how we ended up buying the property because um it ended up being sort of sealed bid auction um and we just offered asking price and we, we knew we wanted the property and we were told that that was the highest offer. And then this was on the Saturday. On the Monday, we were called to say, oh, sorry, somebody beat your offer. And it turned out that, you know, there'd been some dodgy dealings with the agent and, and somebody had been told our offer and had sort of just gone above it. Um, but because I'd been speaking to the landlord um, we'd swap numbers before the rest of the viewers had, had arrived. And I just called him up and I was honest with him and said, look, we want this property. I think something's gone on here. Um, and we we then ended up paying 165. So we paid £5,000 over asking price. Um, but the deal was sealed at that price. Wow. And you know what? That I mean, that highlights two things. One, uh, how dodgy estate agents are can be um, <laughs> yes. and two how relationships no matter how small you know your five ten minute chat outside which would have i guess mainly been kind of small talk especially because it's it, the situation it's yeah. in you weren't sitting there talking for hours about his family and stuff so even that small bit of a relationship and you being alert to the fact that hold on we had the highest bid but then we don't in a sealed bid process especially that early on means you being switched on and then I guess also knowing maybe what agents are like or can be like, building a relationship got you your first deal. Yeah. And then also you found on right move. So, you know, when you so you purchased it for one six five. Yes. What did you do with it once it was purchased? And and actually, because this is something that's not often talked about, how long did it take to go from offer accepted to completing and you having the keys in your hand? So the process, I think it took about four months and the reason it took, I suppose that's not really that long, um, but it took a little bit longer because there were already tenants in the property um, and some of them had been there for, for many years and the landlord wanted us to inherit those tenants. 
So because of that, there was a whole process where we had to check the paperwork that was in process, you know, check that he had been compliant um, with, you know, deposit protection certificates, et cetera, et cetera, um, before we were in a position to exchange. And then we had to hand notice to the tenants to say your landlord's going to change. So that added a little bit of time um, to the process. But yeah, it was, it was four months wow. in total. And that, that's something for people listening, right? I know you said it is not long. And I think, yeah, depending on the scale of your purchase, it isn't long. But even when you said four months, I was like, ah, it's so long. Like property just takes <laughs> too long in this country. It's ridiculous. It, it um, does. The conveyancing process isn't isn't the quickest. It's, oh, it's just silly. And so, so you, you know, you, four months, You and so anyone, again, thinking of, you know, getting out their job quickly, whatever your strategy, unless it's rent to rent, you know, if your strategy is purchasing, you know, oh, get HMOs, quick cash flow. Yes, but you could wait four months for conveyancing. Yeah. Four to whatever months for refurb. So it's it's good you said that so everyone understands how long it can take. So four months later, you got the keys. Did yes. you did you li- just do nothing with it or did you refurb it and refinance no. it? How did you? Yeah, so what we did was we, we had the tenants in. We completed not long before Christmas, so we weren't going to do anything with the tenants at that point. Um, the tenants, they'd all been there for a long time and so were paying way below market rent. So in, I think after about three months, we said, look, we're putting your rent in line with market rent. Um, and the people that were in the two bed flat said that they wanted to move out as a result, which is actually kind of what we wanted to do. Um, because the the rent was so low on that flat and it's a large two bed duplex it needed a refurbishment so it allowed us to do that so we we refurbished the property um and then we've relet that out and we've had the same tenants in since and then the tenant in the one bedroom flat was an LHA tenant um and as I say we inherited that tenant and for one reason or another the rent stopped being paid so we had to go through um an eviction process but it was it was quite simple because the tenant knew that they you know they weren't fulfilling their end of the bargain um and they moved out quite quickly so luckily we didn't have to go to court or anything like that and we refurbished that flat as well so that was all within about nine months it took about six months for the two flats and then the the final studio flat, it, it still has the same tenant. He was there for nine years when we bought it. He didn't want us to refurb it. He doesn't want us to do anything. He's just quite happy there. So we haven't done anything with that one. Wow. So you bought it for 165 How much did you spend yeah. on the refurb? We spent £12,000 in total across the, the two flats and generally tidying up the, you know, the exterior. Mm. And then, so I know you, you know, you know, Birmingham well, you're from there. How was it finding like a build or slash refurb team who would do this and not annoy you and just get it done correctly? <laughs> it wasn't the easiest, to be honest. Um, we, uh, to be honest, I, I'm I'm not involved in that side of things. My husband does it. I think he uses, um, is it like checker trade or, you know, where you put your job out there and then they come out and quote um and we just got on really well with this guy and he had a full team and assured us that it would be done quickly and it was it was done quickly um and so yeah you, I like those sorts of websites because you can see reviews um and you can sort of tender 
through them if you don't have any local connections you know in those from there I didn't know anyone in in the trades yeah no I think they agree you know I think of course you know people can have good reviews and still do a, a rubbish job but it's like when you pick a restaurant or or a hotel or something I think nowadays we all look at the reviews so yes it's an industry that needs some sort of review system for sure um so it's good we have that so yeah you bought it for 165 12k on the reef so how did you buy it sorry did you get a mortgage Yes, yeah. So it was just a standard um, buy-to-let mortgage. We paid 25% deposit from the remortgage from our residential house. Okay. And then once you refurbed it, did you sort of wait a year or something, then remortgage, or did you just leave it as it is? No, we've actually left it as it as it is. And we, we could have remortgaged it, but we decided um, to leave it as it is for now. It, it stacks really well. The, the income at the moment is just under 1,600 a month. Um, yeah, so, and, and the mortgage is very low. So we're making around 1,200 profit, um, which on a, you know, 165 purchase, we're, we're quite happy with. And the capital value hasn't increased massively. It has increased to a point that we could remortgage, but it, it just wasn't really worth it. Yeah. And I think, you know, what part of Birmingham is it in? It's in Erdington, which is north. Oh, Birmingham. yeah, yeah, I know Erdington. Yeah. So, you know, it's in a place where capital is going to go up because of, you know, what's happening in Birmingham and, and investors coming up and pushing price. And I think Erdington's not, it's not too far from the centre and they've got direct bus routes and stuff, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah, so. and going straight in. I think it's about 15 minutes and you're in Grand Central in Birmingham, right in the centre. So, yeah, it's got really, really good links. Well, there we go. And so... You know, I think it's one of these things where that deal, you know, for me personally, that's financial, not freedom, but it's, it's, you know, very, very close to being financial freedom. And it's definitely financial security for bills, mortgage, rent, whatever, whatever we have to kind of pay or I have to pay anyway. So, for you know, for everyone listening, yes, property takes time. But as you've seen and heard how Kim's done it, it you know, one deal could make your life a lot easier um and you literally just found it of right move and you had 20 other competitors so i guess that that is a learning for people listening if there's 20 other people at the viewing who cares like yeah you've just got to be persistent and and that's the theme generally in property that i've learned in the few years that i've been in it you know it's easy to get you get so many knockbacks so many no's um and it's about being persistent Hundred percent. So, you had this property, and then you thought, right, this is you know cool, but now I want to get educated. This is a question that, again, I think a lot of listeners are either thinking about or have thought about, or maybe made the mistake of choosing the wrong one or wrong one for them. How did you know out of the tens of property courses and training providers and gurus and all this crap? How did you decide? you know who you were going to pick because they all market and sound fairly similar how did you know for me I mean being a lawyer I you know I'm very risk averse and the courses aren't cheap you know you spend a lot of money on them and I just did a lot of research did a lot of due diligence I spoke to people who were on the mastermind program who had completed the mastermind program obviously went to free events the shorter sort of accelerator event and for me I just resonated with the sort of ethics it's very 
for me, the mastermind program is very moral. It's about a win-win for the seller and for us. And some of the courses that are was sort of coming across and the gurus, as you call them, were very much like, let's get a deal done at all costs. And that just didn't sit well with me personally. Um, and, and that's why I ended up going for the one that I did. Hmm. Interesting. Because, you know, it is a minefield like it is. It and, is. <laughs> and, and every day it gets harder and harder and harder. So, um, you know, from that, from the mastermind, how much does it cost to be part of that mastermind usually? Um, well, I think it's it's around 18,000. Um, uh, but you also, you get the three day accelerator with that. So that's a, a residential weekend for you and a partner. Um, so you get three intense days and then you get the year long program, you get a coach, a mentor. So, mm. yeah, I think quite yeah. a few people on the podcast have actually been on the mastermind. I think we had some winners of it over the past yes, few years yeah, as well. So, have, yeah. so, you know, that investment is a lot. It's double digits. Um, and of course there's some people listening who would say standard, that's how much you should spend on it. There's others who would say, Oh my God, you know, I want to spend 18 quid on it. And I'm not saying some, anyone's right or anyone's wrong. How long ago did you start the mastermind? So I started it in in April last year and finished March this year. Um, and and I was definitely in the camp where I, you know, it wasn't an easy decision to take to to engage on that program because it is a lot of money. Um, but I just felt that you know I work full time. I was working very long hours, and I thought if I do it the way that I was planning to, which is remortgage every few years and save, it would take me a long time to be financially free. And if I could educate myself and accelerate that process, um, for me, it was an easy decision to make. Well, it wasn't easy, but, you know, it just made sense. I was sort of exchanging that money for education. And as long as I put into action what I'm taught, which is what I did, um, then you would get the results. Hmm. And do you feel that that investment of money and and time has given you an ROI that you're happy with? Yes, 100%. Good, good. And I think that that's what matters. You know, someone else might say, "Mm, you know, I don't think you got the ROI I would have wanted, etc, etc. But that's cool. Um, Yeah, because everyone's different. So you went on this course, you had three days of intense, intense learning. And then you had the kind of 12 months support along it. How did your strategy change from what you said before, which is remortgage, remortgage, you know, buy stuff, which is, you know, a lot of people do do that. And of course, it's a lot slower. But how did your strategy change then? So, the as I said, the, we had quite a big reason why my health and trying to get out of um, working the crazy hours that I was. Um, we came to the conclusion that the... The best way was to go for a high cash flow strategy, which is HMOs. So we were targeting HMOs, whether that's a purchase of a HMO, a purchase lease option, um, all the different strategies for obtaining HMOs in order that we could maximize the cash flow as quickly as possible. Mm, Okay, so... You have the the kind of blocker flats or the three flats, and the next thing is HMOs. So, obviously, Birmingham now and back then and even earlier was 
it's always a hot spot, always London yes. money coming up, paying too much, etc., etc. <laughs> Did you then say we're going to stick with Birmingham or? No, so we 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 still we did stick with Birmingham at the start. So we were targeting Birmingham, um, and also Milton Keynes, where we live, and Northampton. So we kind of um, targeted Birmingham and then Buckinghamshire and Northamptonshire. Hmm. Now, the prices of HMOs in those places that aren't Birmingham are, or the price of houses generally are, are pretty expensive yes um anything with a shire is usually quite uh quite nice quite expensive (laughs) so how how did you then go from 165 150 100 grand houses to maybe two or three times that how did how were you going to fund that i guess so we we had funds to invest in purchasing a couple of hmos but um what we did was Straight after we'd sort of done the the three day weekend, we decided that we would send out landlord letters, um, so you know, targeting directly HMO landlords. And what we found, you know, from the first few letters, were that the the res- we got a good response, um, but most of the landlords weren't ready to sell. They didn't want to sell the asset, but they were very much interested in guaranteed rent, sort of a long term management contract. And initially, that wasn't our strategy. So we were kind of like, well, that isn't what we want to do. We want to buy. Yes, we want cash flow, but we want the long term capital growth. Um, and spoke to my mentor on the program and he kind of gave me a slap around the face and said, you're going to turn down cash flow. Um, you know, that's the key here. And I thought, yeah, I'd, I'd always thought of rent to rent as a it's just not as an option for us because we wanted to own and I just didn't see the point in investing in someone else's asset. It just didn't make sense to me. But actually when I thought about it, it it, it did make sense. And our first deal on the program was was a rent to rent. Um and it cash flows really well. It's it's a really good deal and I can't believe I was questioning whether or not to do it. And actually we we've had a few more rent to rents as a result because if, if you're looking for cash flow, it's a fantastic strategy. Yes, you don't own the asset, but also you don't have to wait four months to start, you know, receiving income. You don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to go through that process. And it's not a lot of money to pay at the start, whereas obviously nowadays you've got 25% deposit, you've got stamp duty, the costs rack up as you said, and with rent to rent, you don't have that. Mm. And that's, you know, that's really interesting you said that. And it's good you said that because when you're taught by a course, any course, or just, I think generally when you're you know, making your strategy, you, you make it a, a strategy. And like you say, right, we're buying because we want capital, we want assets, we want wealth, we're buying. And so these opportunities like you, you know, you know, come up and then you're just like, Oh no, but it's not in the strategy. But what we're all looking for is not an actual strategy. We're looking for the outcome of a strategy, which is money, which is capital appreciation, right? And so it's something for everyone listening to think, actually, hold on. It's good to have a strategy and be focused and a plan, but maybe we should have a toolkit, which is right. If I have a landlord asking me for guaranteed rent, this is what I can offer. If I have a landlord who would consider a lease option, I'm going to offer it, you know, exchange with delayed completion whatever like have a toolkit that you go into a viewing and you say how can i help you and you think cool that eliminates six out of nine options i've got three options what could it be um 
Yeah, that's so exactly it. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that because it's so easy when you're starting to be like, you know, like you did to be like, nah, that's that's yeah. not us. So rent to rent is obviously, you know, a HMO in this case. It's not rent to SA. What, like for you, of course, it's similar in the sense that in multiple rooms of you know occupation. When it came to rent to rent, did you then have to sort of relearn an entire way of doing stuff or? Not really. I mean, I was taught all the basics on the course and I think the best way of learning is doing. So um, it was definitely a steep learning curve. The first one, it was a seven bedroom property. Um, So it's quite a large one to start with. And it it was in very tired condition. So there was a lot to do. Um, But yeah, we just learned as we went along. Obviously, you have to have the right paperwork in place. Um, And being a lawyer, I I sort of take care of the the legals, mainly. I don't do my own conveyancing. But, you know, commercial contracts, I I take care of and the negotiation. So we made sure we had a watertight contract. And um, I mean, I can talk you through that first deal, if if you like. Yeah, definitely. Seven bed, let's go for it. Yeah, so it's a seven bed. Um, and we negotiated a five-year contract with the landlord. Now, the landlord had moved out of area. Um, I think it was about four hours' drive from from where the property was, and he'd sort of asked a friend to look after it, and he, he just hadn't been doing a good job. The, the landlord didn't want to reinvest in the property, so it was dated. Um, four of the rooms were empty when we went to look at it. So for him, he just wanted the property looked after, and obviously, um, some rent coming in. So, sorry, just going on. So, yeah, so we spent, this is the highest refurb we've spent, actually, on, on our rent to rents. It was £7,000. Um, it needed new carpets. It needed painting, literally the woodwork, the ceilings, everything. Um, and then new furniture, so um, it was quite a high spend, but we've now let the property um, for 2900 just over 2900 a month. Um, we pay the landlord 1200 So even though the spend was quite high, um, it's, it's a really good ROI. We did negotiate a couple of months rent-free because of the refurb that needed to be done, which the landlord was happy, happy to have. So the ROI is sort of 230% plus, which, yeah, so those sorts of figures you would never get on a, on a purchase. It's, um, it's, a, it's achievable with rent to rent. Yeah, so, so you're paying the landlord 1200 a month. Yeah. You're bringing in 2.9K a month. How much are you taking home in your pocket after, like, bills and council tax and all that, that fun stuff? So it, on that one, it's between twelve and thirteen hundred. Wow. Yeah. And you know, uh, I think a common thing with rent to rent is, oh my god, why would a landlord take one point two when he, you know, he or she could make two point nine? Yeah. And and you know, I know why, you know why, but for people listening who aren't familiar with you know rent to rent, why would a landlord do that? Well, for him, he he didn't want to reinvest, and we did that. We we refurb the property. Um, and it's the ha- it's not having the hassle. So you know we take over the bills, the management, finding tenants, you know entering into all the paperwork with the tenants. So for him, yes, the twelve hundred is a, a lot less than he could get if he he was to run it himself. But 
he's willing to take that amount for, you know, he's actually getting £1,200 for doing absolutely nothing, um, which, you know, some landlords would be happy with. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing people forget is not every property investor is as savvy as the next. So whilst you and I might be able to get 2.9k out of that house, he may not be able to for the reasons you mentioned or just for the fact that maybe he doesn't even know the spare room exists. Like, who knows? There's there's so much stuff that we know that people don't know and so many things they know that we don't know. So it's kind of, um, but it's hard to do that, right? To kind of step back and say, I know all of this doesn't mean that everyone else does because it's like yeah. a habit for us. So I think that understanding part is important to the the rent-to-rent piece. So you got this rent-to-rent and obviously you're still thinking, right, rent-to-rent is good, cash flow is good, but we still want to buy stuff, buy HMOs. Yeah. What happened from then onwards? So I suppose over the past year, we've basically, um, we've done a mixture of strategies. So we have rent-to-rents, we have, we're hopefully going to complete at the end of the month on a purchase of a HMO. And we've also done purchase lease options. So we've used exactly like you said, a toolkit and and sort of reacted to the needs of the landlord. Some landlords aren't in a position to sell and and need need a few years more of guaranteed rent. Some want to sell. So it's just about for us, it was about being flexible. We're in Article four areas. So um, in order to get HMOs, there's one route, and that is to buy from landlords that already have them. Um, so we are quite restricted. It's very different in an area where you can turn a home into a HMO, but that's just not really possible in our area. So yeah, so we worked with what we had really. Hmm. Okay. And then, so let's say, so you went from April to March in the mastermind program. When you left the mastermind program, what was sort of, so obviously you leave that kind of support to an extent, but you've had it for, for quite a while what was your i guess thinking then or direction after that um well we've just continued really with the momentum it's obviously harder when you sort of you don't have that accountability every month of seeing everyone and your um your calls with your mentor and your coach but we're very determined we have you know we have an end goal in mind and um that motivates us really to continue. I still, you know, um, I listen to podcasts, read a lot of books, um, still very much involved in the sort of mastermind graduate community and it just keeps you on top of things really. Hmm. And what's your favourite podcast? Tej Talks. Yep. <laughs> Good answer. I don't need to push any further on that. That's the correct answer. I'll, uh, I'll send you money in the mail. Um, so... What and you know you said you've got an end goal in mind. Yes. What is that? Because goal setting is, I don't know, it, it's great and it's needed. I personally struggle with it because I'm kind of like, yes, I want eight buy to lets in the next two three months, but if I get a HMO that, that stacks tomorrow, am I going to say no? No, I'm not. So I kind yeah. of like how how did you work your goals and what is that end goal of yours? Um, for for me, it's it's. It's about lifestyle, so having um, more time at home, less time in the office, um, and as obviously the financial element of that is is what's is what we're working towards. But also, um, I don't know if you know Jackie Tomes, but she goes on holiday every six weeks, and I think that's quite a cool 
goal to work towards to be able to, I don't know if I go every six weeks, but, you know, just to say, right, every other month we'll go away. Um, and that's the sort of goals that we're, we're looking, you know, we're looking for a better lifestyle, really. Yeah, I like that. I've, I've heard her name before somewhere or everywhere, actually, on social media. But I think that's a great idea. I'd, ju- I'd yeah. just stay away <laughs> for, for all the weeks of the year like forget coming back to england i'm I'm gone um i really like that okay so obviously those first few deals were self-funded are you still going to be self-funding or are you looking for investors or what's the what does that look like no so yeah we we use investor monies as well and that's a combination of family and friends and private investors so the one that we're buying is through investor funds um because there's, you know, there's only so long, well, in our situation, there was only so long the money was going to be there. Um, and it's been utilised on on the various um, different properties. So, yeah, we, we, we're we using investor funds now, which is great. And how did you, so I know, you know, family and friends, you, you know, I won't ask how you found them, <laughs> but how, for the ones that maybe aren't, you know, how did you find them? And then also, why did they invest with you? Um, found them through networking actually um, we network a lot um, what does through... a lot mean quantify that for everyone I want to know we go to at least six or seven a month that's a lot okay cool is it okay yeah, I think <laughs> I think I'm thinking oh no is that not a lot yeah that's so we a go lot. To at least six or seven a month locally um, so and you know my husband helps out at some some of the um, networking events so we try to be visible, um, and we we've we've met a couple of um, potential investors, and and then the investor on our latest project was was through was through networking as well. Mm, okay, and then why did they invest with you? What was it about you? And I guess this is also going to help people listening that made them comfortable and want to invest with you. I think we at the point that we started looking for investors, we, we had a track record. So, you know, we have, we have a website, we have case studies of, of properties that we've turned around and what we've done. So I think, I think you have to have credibility. Um, and I suppose that together with the fact of my profession, you know, I'm not going to go around taking money and not paying it back. I'd actually lose my job as well. So um, I think it's it's a credibility thing and just having that trustworthy approach. And we got on really well. We went for a coffee. Um, we'd obviously met networking, but we went for a coffee and had similar interests. And yeah, just took it from there, really. Hmm. Okay, I like that. And, you know, people say that finding investors is easy and finding the deals is hard. What's your thoughts on that statement? I wouldn't, I mean, personally, I wouldn't say that finding investors is easy. Not for me anyway. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're in a very fortunate position if finding investors is easy. I think, um, you know, I, I honestly think that the reason that we have investors interested now and we've managed to secure investment funds is because of the work we've done over the past year. I don't know if a year ago we would have been able to find investors. So I think it's definitely you know it's it's sort of a long-term approach um and deals they are hard to find I think it depends on your area I mean where we are you know a HMO can go for sort of 300 350,000 pounds 
it's very difficult to to stack um which is why we try to target landlords direct through networking landlord letters lots of different things but we find you know if an agent gets involved we're in article four there's a premium paid and and that's it <laughs> it's it become the deal doesn't stack anymore and it, it is it's hard work so yeah I definitely think it's hard to find deals at the moment it's very competitive if if a property comes on at a good price it goes you know straight away mm. and you know when it comes to your landlord letters a lot of people are doing them a lot of people are not doing them yeah you know do you find they're expensive and you get a small hit rate or what's your sort of experience with them they're not cheap to do they're not cheap to do but for for me personally because I was working full-time and at the start working much much more than full-time I didn't have the time to go and wine and dine estate agents and you know call them every week and pop in it just wasn't an option for me um so that was that was always something that I thought, well, I'm, I'm not going to get deals through agents because I don't have the time to, you know, you do have to put the work in with them and, you know, being their little black book. And because that wasn't an option, I just looked at other other means. But it is it's definitely not, a, you know, you send out a batch and the phone doesn't stop ringing and you get deals. You know, it's it's a very long process. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, you know, that makes sense. And I think. You know, I've I've seen different sort of um, comments about it. Some people have spent like hundreds, thousands, and they get nothing. Some have spent half of that, and they get a lot. So, I mean, it's quite it's quite difficult to. I don't think it's as, it's as straightforward as say like social media or digital marketing, where you can measure the results, you know what's working, you can test it. It's it's a bit more efficient. So, for your letters, are you handwriting them? Are they printed? Are they got names on? Is it like how are you doing them? Yeah, no, I don't handwrite them. <laughs> I definitely don't handwrite them. Um, yeah, so we just, we create them ourselves, create the content ourselves, and then we use a third party to print and post them. My VA does a lot, to be to be fair, my VA does a lot of the sort of front end um, of the preparation. Hmm, it's good you mentioned that. Um, and for anyone who wants to know third party software, I have used a company called Stamp, s-t-a-n-n-p uh check them out they they were okay they kind of print a barcode on the front of the letter so it looks a bit sort of different sometimes but check them out if you're looking for a a third party provider um you said va so is that all your va does for you or do they do kind of a host of things yeah she's we, we actually have two we've just taken on a second um yeah, that was sort of a transforming point in our business, to be honest, because we are working full time. We're trying to do everything. And we, we got a VA last year. And yeah, it's just been fantastic. She does she does a lot of the admin, which was time consuming for us. Um, but, you know, she just does it in a sleep sort of thing. So it's it's just so much better it means that we have the time to actually you know we're out there networking we can um negotiate go out to viewings and we're not spending time doing the sort of admin type tasks Mm, absolutely it's one of those things you start business and you're like ah i can't afford to outsource then it's like no you can't afford not to outsource because yeah it, it can cost you more but it's so difficult to actually see the value and like the income generating time and tasks versus admin so 
yeah, it, it's definitely tricky. I mean, I've outsourced a few things that I can. Um, and as I grow and get busier, more and more things are being outsourced. But it's quite nice to like, you know, for example, on LinkedIn, I've got someone sending kind of messages out. When I go in my inbox, I'm like, oh, I sent all these messages out today and <laughs> I've done and I've done nothing. I'm like, this is great. Um, yeah. So VAs can be cool. And how did you find your VAs? Um, I found mine through a website called onlinejobs.ph and it's it's a um it's 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 just a, like an agency type um website but specifically for the Philippines. So you upload your job description, they apply to you, you interview them. So it I, I didn't outsource that bit actually, and I probably should have. But I did it all myself. And I, and I would say, you know, it's not a quick fix. You do need to train them. And there is a, a real process of trial and error. But it, it's so worth it once you get to the end and you're able to just forward an email or send them a WhatsApp and, and the action's done. Yeah, 100%. And the training part is is definitely key. I think um, I learned from someone uh, called James Mitchell who's on who's on Facebook and he um, what he does is he films a video <coughs> yes. using yeah using a software called Loom Loom io which is totally free and okay it, check it out totally easy to use um and I mean if you if you haven't got that if you've got a Mac you can use QuickTime to record your screen and stuff but literally make videos of all the things that you do on a daily basis because if you can do them I mean you, you know we're not Einstein anyone else can do them so yeah yeah <laughs> we use Zoom actually. But yeah, it's exactly the same thing. You record um, your screen. You basically talk them through how you would do it. And then they've got that, you know, saved and can follow it. It's yeah. fantastic. It's really good. And obviously, you know, you build up this collection. Yeah, if one VA has to be, you know, fired or leaves or whatever, you have a whole resource to send a new one and say, here we go. This is what I need you to do. Right? And it saves you explaining it, explaining it. So... There's um some nice little hacks there for people listening that I've recently discovered, but Kim, you you know you know better than me. So, um, this is a really broad question now, so you can answer it in whatever focus you want to. What are your thoughts on the market, the property market in your area? Um, the property market in our area is very competitive, as I said, it, because it's article. When I say competitive, I mean in terms of HMOs. Um, because it's Article 4, um, it's quite difficult to come by um, a decent stacking HMO um, at a price that it still makes it worth doing the deal. Um, there are a lot of properties on the market and, you know, I have my right move alert set up and most of my alerts on a daily basis are reduced, um, you know, properties being reduced. But when you find a deal they they just fly out the door that's that's my experience um it's very competitive for good properties and for the not so good they're just not selling they're sort of sticking around yeah and you know i looked at like birmingham bit way before i love birmingham but it i just you know found the same thing as you and i thought you know what i want the path of least resistant to the most result that doesn't mean not doing hard work it just means why paddle like crazy when you can just glide through the water i don't know what kind of analogy that was but you know what i mean Um, yeah and And birmingham is it's a hot spot you know with hs2 lots of um banks and businesses are relocating their head offices there it is a real growth hot spot and obviously um 
that means that a lot of investors are interested in the area in the area that are out of area and that pushes prices up i mean we would love to buy more like the first deal but we know now we would be paying a lot more than 165 for for a property that contains three flats just because it is so competitive yeah and you know and that again shows people when you have opportunity which is the economic growth also comes a challenge which is everyone else seeing the growth and wanting a part of it and it being so close to London and other cities and just being a nice place with it, with a great location, yeah. it's going to get a lot of attention. Cool. I like that answer. So before we go on to the last part, which is the quick fire round, is there a resource or platform app or bit of technology that you just cannot live without? Um, yes, definitely. There's lots, <laughs> but I would say Asana and Trello, we probably couldn't run our business without. Asana, we use for task lists um, in the business and to delegate to the VAs. So it's, I, I just think it's fantastic. I mean, I know you can use it for a lot more than that, but we literally just use it for, for the task lists. And you can put subtasks within that, attach photos, you know, you can... Um, delegate to different team members so that's really good and then trello um yeah i use trello for all sorts of things you know if i read a good book and there's some quotes i put it on a board um my crm is through trello which i'm sure is not the right way to do it but um i find it works for me and i, I just don't have the energy to try and learn a new a new um app for that one but yeah so asana and trello definitely Awesome. I like it. Good tools to get your life organized, everyone listening. So we are on to the quick fire round. Now, what are so these are short, snappy answers? Um, what are the biggest three mistakes that you've made in property so far? Um, the biggest three mistakes, I think the first one would be waiting to invest in education. Um, I think if we would have invested back in 2016 well who knows where we'd be now um so I think for us definitely if we would have just invested and not thought about the the digits and thought about the growth potential um you know we could have accelerated even faster um not getting a VA sooner took us about six months until we decided that we needed one at that point it was like uh, crucial <laughs> Um, so yeah, I would definitely get a VA sooner rather than later. And I think we were just, we were quite risk averse at the start. Um, I don't know if you know the wealth dynamics profiles. Yeah. So basically I'm an accumulator. My husband's a Lord. And so we're both very risk averse. We're both detail orientated and we talked ourselves out of a few deals in the early days. Um, just because you know we just weren't quite sure and actually if we if those deals landed on the table now we'd do them so it's just about taking calculated risks and not not stopping yourself from progressing okay and the third one i think that was two those two right um three i'll, I'll take two off you though i'll take two <laughs> i think it was three <laughs> um so what are your top three or your or your you know three favorite books okay i won't say rich dad poor dad because <laughs> <laughs> i'm a bit of a bookworm actually i love reading um the slight edge by jeff olson i think it is that's a really good book 
Um, Willpower Doesn't Work by Benjamin Hardy. Again, absolutely love that one. These aren't property ones. Um, if you want to get into Rent to Rent, I would recommend Jackie Edwards's books. Um, she's got two they're really short and sweet books on Rent to Rent. Um, and we found them really helpful um, when we decided that we were going to um, take that strategy forward. So those, I think, are my... Awesome. I haven't read the first two, but I've heard of them, so I shall be adding them to my Amazon uh, to-buy list, so thank you for that. And lastly, what are your top three goals for the future? This could be personal, career, fitness, anything. Um, So I think the first one would be the holiday every eight weeks. (laughs) I'm going to be, I know I won't go on holiday every six weeks, so yeah, eight weeks. Um, by the end of this year, we want to be cash flowing £6,000 a month profit. Um, and we're pretty much on track to do that. So that's a sort of end of the year goal. Um, and I'm also looking to grow my mentoring business. I've started mentoring, particularly on rent to rent and, and lease options because they're not as understood as the, you know, just a straight HMO purchase. Um, so I'm hoping that once the cash flow side of things is is sorted i'll have time to do more of that that mentoring Hmm. perfect and if people want to get in touch with you what social media platform should they find you on and how can they find you on them um so i'm on instagram we are como properties which is k-o-m-o properties um also on facebook um just in my name and on linkedin um and our website is comoproperties.com and if you complete a contact us form, happy to have a chat. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for coming on the Test Talks podcast. I think we have really kind of got into your story here. And, and throughout your story, there have been many lessons and mistakes and challenges, but also many you know victories and successes. So thank you for sharing them. And I know You're you've welcome. added a lot of value to people listening. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.